Our second scripture then this morning uh, is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. I invite you to listen uh, for the word of the Lord. I picture Paul taking his quill and sitting down to write this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God our heavenly parent and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed, then, of the testimony about our Lord or of me, a prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to God's own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that Christ is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Can I get a witness? No, that question did not originate with the Marvin Gaye song. When I spent an intern year in Charleston, West Virginia, there were a few Sundays that I took off with a friend to explore other types of churches a few hours away in the backwoods of Appalachia, although I drew the line at the churches that did snake handling. I discovered that saying, can I get a witness, is a phrase that some Southern preachers use sometimes to see if people are listening to the sermon, like if I interrupted and say, so are y'all awake? 
And then sometimes it's used to get confirmation that they are agreeing with the message of the gospel that they are hearing. It's sort of like, so do you think so too? And then sometimes it's peppered throughout the sermon, but almost always it comes to the end. And when the preacher says, can I get a witness? The response is, amen. Let's try that. Can I get a witness? Amen. All right. It's also a call for a testimony. After the amen at the end of the sermon, various people will feel moved to stand up and share something about their personal walk with Christ. Although I was a little uncomfortable sometimes at some of the things in the service and bemused that their hymn books had the title of the country western hymnal, I was definitely moved by the stories people shared about how they experienced God in their lives, especially people who happened to be more poor than most people you have ever met, who saw blessing, who saw God in their lives. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, when Jesus talks with the disciples after the resurrection, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in the book of Matthew, from the text that Marge read to us, Jesus tells his followers to make disciples of all nations, teaching them what they have learned from him. So Jesus called them and calls us to be witnesses. But what does that mean? When the poet Mary Oliver tries to offer some instructions for living, she simply says, pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Think about a time in your life when you had an experience that was so meaningful or even life-changing for you that you just had to share it. That's what witnessing means. It's not about trying to give someone else the answers to faith or even having them ourselves. It's not about somehow proving to others that God exists. It means sharing what you have experienced of God. That can be in conversations, and even more importantly, it can be through actions by how you live your life. For some of the first disciples, being a witness meant literally giving their lives. They really, it really astounds me to think about it. Do you know that John was the only one of all those apostles of the very early church who didn't die a horrible death as a martyr? If you don't want to sleep tonight, I would suggest, if you want to sleep tonight, I would suggest that you do not Google the way the apostles died. It is gruesome. Can you imagine that kind of dedication? There was an urgency, a fire of the Spirit ignited inside of them, and they just couldn't let fear into the equation. In some places in the world, openly being a Christian can still land you in jail or even get you killed. Can you imagine not only risking death, but being that alive in the spirit, that astonished by the love and grace of God that you would do anything to share it? 
Well, we don't want to be the kind of Christian that comes across as pushy or self-righteous, and that kind of attitude sends people running in the opposite direction anyway. We have to admit that there are times when we could, but we are hesitant to share our faith. What if they laugh at us? What if they reject us? What if they think we're stupid? And yet Jesus clearly calls us to be witnesses. Our scripture from 2 Timothy today is a sort of farewell letter from the Apostle Paul, or penned for him by a follower, we're not sure, but it was addressed to a man named Timothy. Paul has been a mentor to Timothy. They went on two of the big missionary journeys together until Timothy ended up staying at the church in Ephesus. We know that they are close because Paul refers to Timothy in the letter as my beloved child. He's writing from a dark, damp Roman prison cell, giving his last advice and encouragement not long before he is killed by one of Nero's officials. Paul tells his friend to trust all that he has learned, to rekindle the gift of the Spirit within, trusting God to be with him in whatever he does. Another word for giving witness to the gospel is evangelism. Sadly, it is one of those words, and there are a few in the Christian faith, that has been hijacked by folks to define it in a different way often using fear of eternal damnation as a scare tactic to try to convince people to believe. Only you can't scare people into faith. You can only love people into faith. Giving witness to the gospel means giving witness to love. Maybe Presbyterians wouldn't tend to cower from that word evangelism if we could understand it that way. It's a wonder that I'm a Christian at all. After encounters in my youth and in college with the fear-mongering sort of fundamentalist organizations that cater to those age groups. After that, I was disheartened when I worked as a summer intern in ministry before being ordained with a pastor who catered only to the wealthy people in his congregation. Most of us are a little weary from encountering people who call themselves Christian yet define themselves by who they hate, who they are against, who they think is unacceptable in their eyes, and they say are unacceptable in God's. But then, like Timothy, who learned about faith from his mom Eunice and his grandma Lois, we thankfully learn something about what it means to be Christian from people who show us by the way they live their lives. When I was just 10 years old, I learned from an exchange student from Somalia, who at the time was another kid at Presbytery camp. The stories of the hardships in his young life juxtaposed with his faith and his wonder at the blessings of each day gave light to my soul. There was a friend in college who destroyed his hand while trying to save a stranger from a burning car, and he never complained once about his injury. There was a woman with cancer who went on a mission trip in the war-torn Balkans with me and chose to spend the time before she died offering her love and her companion to war orphans. There are people in this congregation that inspire me again and again with the way your faith 
shapes your lives. I have seen the evidence of Christ in so many people in their lives, and even as they lay dying, that I feel truly blessed. And yet, I, like many of you, still need to open my heart to be more alert, to notice, to be astonished by God, and to share that astonishment by the way I live. Do people who know us well, and people who know us a little bit, and those who only have brief encounters with us, say to themselves, oh, that's what a Christian is. So many think, oh, that's what God can do in a life. Or do they say to themselves that that's a Christian, I'm not interested. Not so much in our grand sweeping gestures, but even in the little things, we can make a difference. Dedicating ourselves to being witnesses to Christ is a daily exercise. Last week, I almost failed miserably at that. I was quite frustrated at the pharmacy. After waiting five days for a prescription, they texted me to tell me it was ready. Since I had a previous experience of that happening, only to find that the promised prescription wasn't filled, I called the pharmacy to make sure of it, and the lady told me twice it was there. When I got to the counter, you guessed it, it hadn't been filled, and they said I could come back in a couple of hours. I was justifiably unhappy and was about to let them know it when a man came stomping over to the counter, red-faced, yelling at the poor woman for making him wait. She was on the verge of tears. Upon looking around in the preparation area in the pharmacy, I could see that, like many other places these days, it was woefully understaffed and the few workers they had were moving around as fast as they could. I stopped myself, just in time, from venting my frustrations on the poor woman, paid for the prescription she did have, and told her I'd come back the next day for the other one. As she took my check, she noticed the REV before my name and asked, you're a pastor? At that moment, do you know how relieved I was that I had not vented to her? Not only did she not need that from anyone, but what kind of damage could it have done for her to hear a pastor's voice among all the other ones giving her a hard time for a situation that was completely beyond her control? When I said that I could tell she was having a crazy day and I hoped things got better, she smiled at me and her eyes radiated thankfulness for just that brief moment of affirmation. If you are centering your life and your identity in Christ, asking the Spirit to guide you, knowing that God is with you in all of it, you would be surprised by the legacy you can leave this world. I mentioned before that when I was, I was a pastor in Pennsylvania, for a few months before I found a place to live, I was invited by the wonderful TV show host, Mr. Rogers, to stay in his parents' home that he still kept there. I soon discovered that Mr. Rogers didn't become the loving Presbyterian minister who taught children about neighbors and kindness by accident. His mother, Nancy Rogers, was still well-remembered in that town. She volunteered at the hospital. Back in the last war, she had knitted sweaters for soldiers fighting in Europe. And she bought 
tons of Christmas presents for children in need. Anyone who had a need in that town knew who to go to. Sometimes the legacy of Christian love begins with parents. In the early 1800s, a man named, and I can't say it, Adoniram, what a name, Judson, was a missionary to Burma. In one place, as soon as he got off the boat, they threw him in jail for six years. But they allowed his wife to visit him. As she visited him, according to William Self, his wife Anne would get him to teach her the native language. And then they realized that there were Thai prisoners of war there. Thailand was fighting with Burma. Anne, who was a linguist, learned the Thai language too, and she translated the book of Matthew for them. She offered a Bible study to them every morning. This is a group of about 12 people. And when they were released, they carried Christianity back to Thailand. Now, Christians are only about 1% of the population there, but there are still Christians in that country today, thanks to Anne's morning Bible study. After the bombing of the Boston Marathon in 2013, the young man who planted the bomb was eventually killed in a shootout with the police. One cemetery after another told his family that they would not bury him. Then a man named Douglas Keene, a retired teacher, agreed to do it. Douglas was from Vermont, he was a Yale graduate, and most importantly, a Christian. He told the man's family that he would let them bury the son in the plot he already owned next to his mother. But he gave a condition, that it would be done in memory of my mother, who taught Sunday school at Mount Carmel Congregational Church for 20 years and taught me to love the enemy. In the face of one man's evil act, another man whose Christian identity was influenced by his mother's faith made a bold statement about Christ's love. All over the world today, there are people celebrating communion because the first disciples and apostles were unafraid to share their faith because someone they knew lived a life that was a witness to Christ. Who passed on the story of God's love to you? How is your identity being shaped in Christ? How is your life going to point to the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can I get a witness? And all the people said, Amen. Amen.